Hi, I'm Meredith. I'm Kristen. We'd like to welcome you to the Writer's Story. Um, it's October, and um, it's we talked a little bit last month about being inspired by fall and being productive. I hope you've had a productive month. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel um, that I have made some progress for myself. Um, I've always found deadlines to be really useful, and um, but in this case, it's not necessarily a deadline, but just a reporting in. So I require myself to report in every day as to what I have accomplished with my writing. And that is enough to shame me to <laughs> sometimes run to the computer <laughs> and write something for the day. Um, and I think that's helpful. And although I'm always um, on the side of, no, you don't have to write every day and be a writer, I do think when you're working on a big project, dipping your toe in every day can be incredibly useful just because you don't lose threads of things. Yes, I totally agree. I want to ask you, Meredith, what you mean by, was it checking in? Is it with another um, person or? Well, this will open up a whole can of worms. I um, do um, bullet journaling. And so I keep records of all sorts of things. So um, for instance, um, I keep an exercise record. So every day I say what I did and, and then I just ask myself to report on other things that matter to me, health-wise so, or mm -hmm. anything else. And so, and so at one point I'd done that for a year with sort of health things because I wanted to make sure that I was getting enough exercise and I was eating right and sort of yeah. what was going on with my my body and myself and then and how much did I sleep and that was yeah. a way to also record to sort of since I get migraines sort of like why mm. maybe you got a migraine you know oh you slept only five hours ah oh, maybe that was it right. you know that kind of stuff interesting so um then after doing that for a year and a half I realized that um, I really wasn't making my writing enough of a priority in the day. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways I do that is at the end of the day, if I haven't written, I have to write a line through. Uh, oh, line a through line that, through the, the writing that day category. And say, yeah. and say that nothing happened that day. Yeah, so uh, this is so interesting. At the end, so you do it at the end of the day every Sometimes day. Sometimes I'll do it the next day if I haven't caught up on all my stuff, but I do. Yeah. I have to be honest about it. Did that you is write? great. And, that and, is and, great. And, and things, things can qualify for writing. It's not like you have to say to yourself, oh, I did nothing. Well, if you wrote um, something on your blog, yeah, that, you, you should report that. You yeah. wrote in a journal, um, you know, anything that you've done and then... Um, and then I find it useful to see also what I'm working on. So yeah. I can say a thousand words, you know, the thriller or whatever I'm working on. Yeah, I love that. I, I think it's so um, useful to have, I mean, there's the accountability level, of course, but then also just the, the actual noting what you did or didn't do. Um, because we can, I can make... I could play games in my mind that justify all sorts of things, but I think it was Annie Dillard, right, who said how we spend our days is how we spend our lives, um, or something like that. It was maybe it was how we spend a minute is how we spend a day. <laughs> anyway, you get the picture. I get the picture. But but it's um, I think it's really useful to have the opportunity 
to recognize whether what you want to prioritize is really getting priority or right. not. Um, right, and I think there's a sort of a similar but opposite thing happening where people are now having their phone tell them how much they've used it. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this is a this is a sort of a the, the positive direction, which yeah, is like yes. you could keep track of anything. You could say if you say yeah. meditation or yoga practice or any of my practices are really important to me. Yeah. Then you could say to yourself, "Did I do it or not?" Yeah. And then yeah. you could ask yourself, "Well, why not?" Yeah. And a lot of times it's I just didn't make it a priority that day. Exactly. I mean, there's yeah. days when everything goes wrong and you have, you know, someone becomes sick or you're sick or, you know, there's obviously yeah. there's things that are yes. crisis, but you can um, sort of yeah. uh, twiddle me, away a day. Yes, and, a and lot never, of days there's not a crisis, but I never maybe... report into the page. Yes, never... <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm certainly finding right now with my, the, place I am with some writing that I have to be there every day for it because otherwise it's going to be one step forward five steps back and you're revising it. I'm moment. revising yeah. and I'm trying to keep exactly as you said trying to keep some of these threads um, in place uh, because with this revision I have changed a number of things a few times and so I need to remember the present, the present version so that as I'm working through it, I'm not um, revising in light of a different plot point that existed for an earlier version, oh, for instance. So it's really knowing your work. Yeah, and knowing it in this present state because it, again, has changed. But um, in this case, this is the, the middle grade novel in the kitchen with Gracie May that has been so much fun. And I think I mentioned to you before, Meredith, that this started as an adult novel. I thought it was going to be an adult novel. And I wrote it then with that in mind, which included the vocabulary was more elevated, if you will, um, or the vocabulary was suitable for an adult reader. I had written it in the third person. So my protagonist, the girl, the 12-year-old was a character about whom we read in the third person, and it was about 80,000 words. And then when I shifted to a middle grade, thinking, okay, I was convinced by other folks who know this sort of thing, that if your protagonist is 12, it probably is a book for readers um, who would look for a 12-year-old protagonist, in other words, a middle-grade readership. And then, but the revising has been um, brutal very recently because it's only um, embarrassingly late that I recognized that, of course, a middle-grade book needs to be about half the length of the adult novel that I had crafted before, and also shifting it to the first person. Okay, and so first person is more common with the middle-grade. Um, I don't know. I don't know that for sure. But that was just suggested to you as a... I think I tried it on as a way to help me make that change so that I inhabited her okay. um, experience a little bit more closely, which helped me change some of the vocabulary as well, or, or at least flag places right, where... Right, so it's her voice. It yeah. has to be her voice always. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think that um, 
word count is just a, it's all, it can be a slippery slope. Yeah. You know? And it's, yep. it's really challenging. You know, I've, I've, it is something that gets you tossed almost immediately though. Exactly. And so that's the thing that always hurts my heart when someone will say, Oh, I wrote a mystery and it's 130,000 words. And I'm like, yeah, they're not even going to read it. You know, yeah. you just don't want to write out the gate. Yes. And as a, say, Nope. You know, exactly. Yeah. So the question of when, when is it okay not to conform to a genre's expectations and when, really do you need to and it seems to me that if you're a first-time author in that genre it you just do yourself a service by conforming to the genre rather than adding that additional I think as a new writer hurdle. I think as a new writer I always recommend that you um, stick as closely to things as, as you can and if you're breaking the rules understand that you're breaking the breaking a rule yeah you know i mean and yeah. do it with purpose yeah and style and <laughs> and say yes i did that all. you know it, it, the, yeah the thing the worst is when they don't know or they're not willing to sort of understand yeah um, and a lot of that does come with not reading in a genre mm -hmm. yeah where people won't understand sort of the weight of it but they also you have to do some research i mean People don't automatically, you don't, you're not born being able to pick up a book and say, oh, this is about 45,000 words. You're not born no. that way. So you have no. to give yourself a break. Yes. You know, do yes. your research, read yes. a lot in the genre, and then you get a sense of the timing with that. Yes. Um, I, I, when I was talking to someone who was uh, writing a short story and they were interested in having it at Ellery Queen, and I said, do you subscribe? And they said, yes, I do. And I said, good. Mm -hmm. Because before I ever sent a story to Ellery Queen, I read it. For at least a year. Yeah. And you get a sense, what is the editor like? Yeah. What are the voices like? How does it, how's the pacing feel yeah. for a short story? Yeah. Because it's absurd to just read, you know, random short stories. If you're trying to place it someplace, yeah. read the short stories that they like. Yeah. And you're just going to have a much better, you know, right out the gate, you're going to have a much better chance. Yes. I'm not saying anything's guaranteed, but I think it's, it's definitely. Yes. Um, There's so many, it's already so difficult to get work out. It seems to me that why add that additional hurdle of right. being an outlier? Right. Um, and I'm excited today because we're talking to a couple of writers. Yes, that write and big readers. Of, that write in a lot of different genres. Yes. And yeah. have sort of um, created their own paths, you yeah. know, found their own way. And I think it takes uh, like a lot of bravery, but it also just, often takes a lot of talent yes you know, to, yeah. to form readership and um so i'm interested to hear what we learn yeah me too i know so our our guests i'm sure you all out there are sitting on the edges of your seat our <laughs> Unless guests you read the summary underneath <laughs> right. oh yeah okay well then you already know philippa <laughs> pip valentine and T. Morris are our guests today, and we are so excited to ask them about their work writing. Steve Pollock and yeah. yeah, and also um, collaboration. Yeah, uh, we wanted to talk to them about collaboration. Um, you know, last month we had Tara, and she was talking about being married to a writer. Um, I don't think she and Art have ever written anything together. I mean, I didn't, we didn't ask them that, but. But this is a, taking it a little bit further as yeah. a married couple to also write together. I've actually written. Have you ever written with a partner? No, not uh, for any with okay. anything serious. Yeah. Well, I've written um, screenplays. 
Oh yeah, um, with partner before, and I, it's uh, it's an interesting process. Um, I think um, there's a reason that sort of comedy rooms are rooms. Yeah, because I think it's sometimes easier to be funny if it you yeah. have an audience. Yeah, you know, you know and I, reacting. Yeah, um, and, yes. and screenplays can be that way too. But I, I remember us doing a lot of fighting because it would be we would be both sure. <laughs> That Either whatever way, choice was those are exactly, and so yeah. I'm interested how they stay married. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I spoke really quickly. I have collaborated. I co-wrote a book with one of my colleagues uh, at the university, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, a little book for our um, students of religious studies to help them get a to help them understand what the academic study of religion was and is, um, and often that's at odds with what their expectations are. That and, is, it is not Sunday school. And was that a process that was challenging? It was really fun. Yeah, yeah it was a blast. Um, I think, I'm trying to remember, it's been some years, how we did it logistically. Like, did we each write chapters? I feel like we did it, I feel like we did it very much together along the way, okay. and sort of... Um, talked then went our went separately and wrote and then came together talked about what we were I think that's kind of how we did it yeah um anyway Esther Nelson so it's like a so yeah. it's you know I, uh, so maybe a non-fiction I don't know fiction oh fiction, fiction a different thing I, I feel like I don't know I'm not saying I, I collaborate all the time with writing when I write nonfiction um for work yeah, but I I think with fiction there's Different. something a little bit passionate about it, or like a character that you're like I can see this character, and how dare you say oh yeah or something yeah they I would never use a word like that <laughs> I can't believe it um, um, I think that but I think it'd be really fun to do yeah, yeah yeah and so I'm excited to hear how that works too. yeah me too all right let's go call them up great. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we are so excited to have with us today Philippa Pip Ballantyne and T. Morris, who are collaborators, each of them successful writers in their own independent rights, but also remarkably collaborating quite um, with, with many projects under your belts. Um, I had the wonderful opportunity to meet both, uh, both Pip and T. at the James River Writers conference, their annual writing conference in the fall, and um, it was an honor to have Pip on one of the panels that I moderated, having to do with writing compelling characters, and uh, great to meet T in that context as well. So, uh, again... Wasn't I heckling in the back? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think I was heckling yeah, in the back. That, were, that's not the way you really want to meet me, No, but okay. you were you were my <laughs> ace in the hole. I knew that if, if the... The Q&A <laughs> section went south. I could call on you, and you would bring us back and save the day. Yeah, with, the with night. the heckling, like, I love you, baby. Yeah. Oh, it was your anniversary, you. right? It, yes. it was our We were celebrating our anniversary that weekend. That's oh, so awesome. That's a great way to celebrate it. Oh, no, no, no. No, it was a great way to celebrate. First off, uh, James River Writers treat us, treated us like rock stars. And then we found a, a speakeasy called uh, Grand Staff and, St and Steins. Oh, yes. Grand Staff and Steins. Wow, what a place. Awesome. It was, wow. it was a good time. It was a good time. <laughs> wow. And then at the end, after they like give you all these drinks, you're like, well, it's not really our anniversary. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> at the speakeasy. Do, do you know people who do that? They go into restaurants and they're like, it's my birthday. Oh, 
to really? get, to get oh free God. stuff for the cupcake at the end. With Those the... are sad, sad. So they yeah, it is sad. It is sad. sad. I mean, the last thing I need is to have strangers sing to me in a restaurant. <laughs> I don't know. I just Unless think it's singing in the rain. I'll I think this that. is a character I have to put in the book, obviously. But... Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. But I have met people, and I'm, I'm like, it's not your birthday, and they're like, let's see what we get. <laughs> it's my anniversary again uh, all right so my intro's gone off the rails we should just we should really just minutes. jump right into things uh, because we know we only have you for a little while and we're just thrilled to it so we, let's get into stuff y'all write uh cross genres well lots of good fantasy some sci-fi and steampunk um short short form novel length and um, patio books. So mm-hmm. I want to know more about all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a very targeted question. But, um, well, let me tell. I can tell you about patio books because um, T was one of the founders of patiobooks.com back in the day, the early days of podcasting back in. 0506. Wow. Yeah. Two pieces of it was two solo cups and a piece of string between yeah. them. Um, the four <laughs> podcasters from 2010 on like to say that never happened. We, we were the pioneers. The mass delusion that we were doing yeah, it exactly. back then. But um, audiobooks was a great site where a lot of people uh, posted full length fiction mm-hmm. back in the day. Unfortunately, it is gone. Yeah, oh. it, it had a good run for a website for a, for a free website that had. Hours on hours on hours of fiction and over and over a million downloads total. Wow. Um, I want to say Patio Books lasted till about, I want to say 2012, 2014. 2012, something 2014. like that. Yeah, something like that. But I mean, that. it was it was a good six, seven years. and uh, Which and is it, like 200 years on internet terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, and Patio Books was a, was, a, was, a, was a fun thing to do and it was a fun thing to uh, to to, to describe and I mean, or, or a fun, yeah, a fun thing to describe to people and also a, just a fun thing to, to share with others. But, uh, but, if, but if your listeners are curious as to what that, what that is, cause we still call it patio books. If, if, if we have, if you run into those authors that still do that, but patio books is what happens when you podcast a novel as opposed to, or you podcast a, an anthology or you podcast fiction versus audiobooks. Audiobooks, you just download it all, you pay for it. Patio books, you do it as a podcast. You release it one episode at a time. Oh, okay. So it's it's, it's like serialized fiction. And then uh, most of the time, you don't charge a thing for it. Yeah, usually. And technically, we're still doing that with Tales of the Archives, which is the – the patio, the patio book anthology that we uh, that we are getting ready to wrap up, but we've been podcasting that for five mm, seasons. Is, yeah. Five seasons now. Yeah, yeah, we're on our fifth season. It's um, at uh, part of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Yes. So, and, so they could uh, find that. So people who are interested could find that on your website. On our website, on Spotify, iTunes, and on the website um, that is the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, mm-hmm. right? Yes, there's an RSS feed there where you can subscribe. Okay, okay. Yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, that that's funny. It's like, um, I guess it's like how we still make Xeroxes even though... Oh, we call them Xerox? Yeah, yeah. Just like the original, you know, patio books. It's true. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It yeah. really is. And um, and the, so so you you know you, you can get it at Ministry uh, Peculiar Occurrences. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Pretty much any any podcatcher will find it for free. For oh, free. Oh, that's so cool. It's a, and also it's like a classic. I think it's 
I mean, I know what you're, you're talking about this, but I think it's a classic art form. I mean, the whole Charles Dickens, you know, yes. releasing things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we actually do, because we learned how to do podcasting audio books before there was really this big rush on audio books now that you have, we do our own. We right. record um, like the Ministry 7 books, which are mm-hmm. the young adult spinoff of the of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, and we record them, and so we're pretty pretty good at that. We, we had a lot of training over the years. And we've, we've managed to be hired to even do a few audio books in our days, so it's nice to be able to do that. It's nice to be able to do that on the side. Yeah. So, I guess I have a follow-up question. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like you write differently when you know that it's going to be a audio book as opposed to it's going to be um, an standard standard text. I don't really think so, but I do know that reading it aloud is a great way to catch any Mm. um, editing errors, any, you know, continuity problems. When you're reading it aloud, you really pick up on all of those things. So I actually like to have it as like the final before it goes out into the world, I actually like to have the audio recorded first mm-hmm. oh, yeah. so that I, I can pick up anything that's um, that's missed the editorial eye. Mm-hmm. And when you do it in this kind of serialized format, do you um, change any, like the characters or the plot in light of what your uh, listener feedback is or not? Not really. Ours tend to be, um, you know, the book is already done. Right. Yeah. So we don't okay. tend to do that. I mean, there is um, more like the old time radio theater groups. There were some that were doing that on patio books as well. And you did it for a while with, with uh, erotic like oh, That's right, I did. So yes, I, mm-hmm. there is some level of uh, interactive um, involvement, I guess. We well, do it now with Patreon. That's right. I do actually have. Although a, that's not podcast. But well, still. I, yeah, I am sort of. Yeah, that, that Patreon is a whole nother. That's side all other of discussion. Yeah, that's yeah. all. You could really get into the interaction between uh, reader and creator, which is kind of neat. But mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've became introduced to the Patreon uh, form or Patreon option. I don't even know how to describe it. Um, it's, through it's, a probably, it's probably best friend. described as a platform. Yeah, okay, a platform. a platform. Yeah, through a musician. So that. Right. Um, yeah, I love so you, being you able play, to support. You record something and then they... Then well, it's people... almost like a CSA. You pay oh. for their the release of their creative content. Okay. And yeah. they'll yeah. send me an email saying, you know, we just released another a new song and here's the link to listen to it. And I've already agreed to pay a certain amount for anything yeah. that they provide. So, so you guys are doing it with um, books, with stories. Pippets. Yeah, Pippets. yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm doing a, a little dabbling, a light dabbling. And I do like, I mean, the Patreon model is one of the oldest, you know, models back in the day when, you know, artists were starving. They would have a patron who <laughs> oh, yes. would pay for them. Um, <laughs> but this way you're like, it's like crowdfunding that original patron idea. So everyone's paying just a little bit, maybe 3 to $5, $10 a month. Yeah. Okay. But they're getting access to your creative content, sometimes early, sometimes exclusive stuff. Yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah. I like this much better than having to have cancer or something. To... <laughs> cancer? <laughs> oh, to get the yeah. money. money. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's much better than that. Go <laughs> fund me. It's better than a go fund me. Poke in the eye with a sharp stick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um so you all so we were Meredith and I were sharing our um 
feeling a little intimidated podcast, having you on our podcast, because you both have so much experience and T even co-authored the third edition of podcasting for dummies. Right? We're your target audience. Well, well I, I, I actually part. was the, I've been on all three editions. Oh, so wow. I've, been, I've been writing about podcasting since 2005. Yeah. That's amazing. Right. And with podcasting and, and, for dummies. And because... I, I like to say I'm, I'm the most, I'm the most quickly forgotten footnote in podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Far too many times, I don't mind going on this little rant, but far too many times, um, there will be people that will be interviewed uh, in, in the podcasting uh, oeuvre, and they'll say, they'll, they'll say, oh yeah, people weren't doing this in 2010, it was a, it was a brave new world, and, oh. and, and all, all, of us, all of us who have been there since 2005, yeah, you, you know, Merle Lafferty, people like that are just, we're, we're just sitting in the back going, Really? Hello. Really? <laughs> really? So that just means Please they didn't on, they didn't know? discover it until 2010, so it didn't exist. Their yeah, personal, yeah. Their personal experience. Five minutes of research on Google. Five it's, minutes of research on yeah, Google. It's like Christopher <laughs> Columbus. It wasn't there until I got there. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 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 Look what I discovered. It's a new world. <laughs> it's a new world. <laughs> and even Lee Erickson's like, dude, you didn't even discover America. You discovered exactly. exactly. You didn't, a lot. Yeah. You didn't even land there. <laughs> but you also yeah. have, so you have this podcast, the two of you, The Shared Desk, yes. which yes. I love. So Meredith and I were wanting to ask you some about um, what it's like to do uh, creative work collaboratively as closely as you two have. Are you game to speak a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, it's a, I like to say it's a very organic, interesting process yeah. because we started writing the ministry back in two thousand and. Eight? Nine? Uh, 2008 was when, we, yeah. was when we hatched the idea. Yeah. Um, it, we started off with um, uh, T was writing the male character's POV and I was writing the female character's point of view. And we kept pretty closely to that sort of yeah. back and forth. We actually did that for the second one as well. Yeah. And I um, don't know, at some point it suddenly became rather than – that it came there was a sort of a shared voice that developed yeah. oh. the, the 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 idea was pip would write a a uh, a chapter i would edit it then i would write a chapter pip would edit it and that's oh. that's how the voice kind of kind of took shape cool. um by so the I, third by the third book yeah. we were comfortable enough with both characters that we, we you know i was like i like to do one contemporary well i like to do an eliza chapter um I think there's only been one, you know, people talk about the, the complications of us being married, but really there was only been one time that I think <laughs> Pip was really upset. And it wasn't in me. the main series. It was in no, the YA it was, series. It was in the YA series and she was really upset with me. Um, and just, I, I almost, you were I almost, lucky you weren't sleeping I, on the couch. I, I almost <laughs> did sleep on the couch because it was just chilly in the bedroom. But then, <laughs> but then the next morning she was like, I thought about it. I slept on it. You slept on it literally. And then the next morning you were right. And I just, <laughs> and I just went. Yeah, I know, honey. I was right. Now let's fix this damn thing. And, and oh. <laughs> so really, one big argument is not one, too bad. That after is amazing. Shit. What are we on to? Like, um, well, there were six eight, books. There were six books in the original. Sort of in a ninth book. We're working on the uh, eighth book right now. Wow. Eighth book. We've got uh, two more after. Uh, no, we got one more after this one. Yeah. But uh, Pip, Pip ran solo on um, on second, the second book that's in, right, in the yes, in the, uh, in, the, in the YA series. Mainly because I was working on uh, a solo novel, which I'm shopping around, and it's out of genre, so that's that's oh. really going to be interesting. Um, and I'm, I just today I just got some feedback on it, so it's giving me a lot to chew on. I I actually need to follow up with the agent 
uh, yeah. that, that I interviewed with. She liked the idea. We'll see how much she liked it after she reads the first 25 pages. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. What is what is the book or what is the genre? Um, well, I thought it was thriller. Uh, <laughs> it might be suspense because apparently I'm not doing I'm, – I'm not following all the beats in thriller. So I'm like, well, then I've got to be following the beats in suspense because it's either a thriller or suspense or – but I don't know. Uh, I just I think know. after writing us so much uh, speculative fiction, jumping into thriller or suspense is – it's like you know learning a new – Oh, language. Yeah. Language, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's like learning a language. So, um, yeah, so I, I teach mystery writing. I've actually taught okay. thriller writing. <laughs> I wish I'd known that. I would yeah, have you could have brought some questions. Um, yeah. No, but I, I think, uh, well, well, there, there's a, there's several jokes because people are always like, what's the difference between mystery and a thriller and suspense? And um, Lee Child's joke was the difference between mystery and thriller is about $50,000. <laughs> <laughs> distinguish from thriller I, I would have to sort of maybe see what her notes were but I think the difference between mystery and thriller is that in a mystery something horrible happens and the uh, rest of the book you try to figure out why who did it that kind of stuff and uh -huh. a thriller something horrible is going to happen Oh, and now okay. you're trying to prevent that from happening. So there's hmm. a terrorist; they're going to blow up New York unless you do this, and so you right. don't want to so do that. And that's where that's where the book falls under thriller because there's nothing really. Um, there's I've written a mystery before. Yeah, yeah. I've written a mystery before, but um, but this this is more like a thriller. Right. Um, yeah. But that's cool. that's that's what I've been written uh, writing, and uh, st staying now while it is an entirely new genre. I'm still very, uh, very. I'm playing it very close to my nerdy heart. I've set it in the world of esports. Oh. So, so it's uh, it's it's basically a um, it's basically a scandal in esports that everyone's trying to keep under wraps. Mm. And and that's 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 the premise of it. Wow. Uh, I would I would describe it as uh, I, I would describe it as the fall of Lance Armstrong, uh, with an all female team. In esports, and that's oh. that's that's what I'm playing around with right now. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, um, a friend of mine, Donna Andrews, wrote a mystery um, with a computer as a sleuth. <laughs> oh, so Sorry. I so think kind of electronic. Yeah, it was years ago, digital. and um, I th mm. I think there's always uh, room to play with everything, and I think that that um, and obviously you guys have so much experience, but the whole cross genre thing I think continues to be of interest. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of the genres that people put uh, things into are definitely marketing related. Yes. Um, you know, where where is this going to sit in the book store? Yeah. If we ever have any bookshops left, um, right. where is this going right. to be on the shelf? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting the, the 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 threads that you can sort of tie in between genres. Right, and I and I feel like I don't know any writer who reads in just one genre. Right. Mm. Yeah. Like we're asked to just write in one, like pick one and then stick with it often. <laughs> um, and, and, but as a reader, I read very widely and I think, um, I learn so much mm -hmm. and I do, I get burned out in my, um, in mystery for sure. You know, <laughs> I'll have to take breaks and it's fun. You learn so much. Yeah. Yeah. 
And speaking of reading, so one of the questions that we love to ask is how you came to writing, each of you individually. And I, I know that both of you are really big, big readers. But can you unpack that a little bit for us, how you came to become writers? Um, in this case, it's not T's fault. Uh, it was my father's fault. He <laughs> is a huge science fiction and fantasy reader. Um, and I was like in teenage years when I sort of finished all the books he had, I'm quite a fast reader. And so I was stuck with what do I do? And I was like, well, I guess I need to write my own. Oh, So I went to um, like my school chums that I went to school with in New Zealand still remember me. I had uh, like a green hardback book and I was always scribbling away in it. But, um, you know, it was, it was also the eighties in New Zealand. So it took me a while to figure out that that was a thing I could actually do. Yeah. Once they invented the internet, it was so much easier <laughs> <laughs> trying to post things off to New York city oh, on the other New side Zealand. of the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Forget about it. It was so, tough enough when, when I was doing it in 2002 yeah, so, or 2001, right. I should say. Yeah, those little stickers that you had. To oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, for myself, it was, uh, I, I've just always written stories. Um, you know, I, I was doing them uh, even as a kid, uh, writing stories to uh, my my my, uh, my father was um, a salesman and he was on the road quite a bit. So I would write stories. Uh, he he told he told me later, much later in life, that I would make these storybooks for him and he he would, he would take them on the road. Uh, and then there was um, we we. Uh, it just I, I I really I really um, give a lot of credit to public education because we would do things like we would, we would have writing assignments in English we would have storytelling we would do storytelling in, in fifth grade and I I just ate that up so I started writing um, back then and it just stuck with me uh, for for many years and I didn't even really seriously think about it as a as a as a um, as an occupation it was it was more about I was I was going to be a, a, an actor. And oh. then um, it was it was while I was while I was on a show that I was I started developing this this character, which wound up being the very first character in my in my um, in my uh, epic fantasy, Moravi. And it just kind of snowballed after that. I remember the last time I was on stage, I, I was I was the lead role in a play. But the funny thing was, I had my I had my laptop open. <laughs> So whenever I would come off stage, I would work on the book. And as I'm working on the book, another friend of mine in the cast would go, okay, T, you got 15 minutes. Okay, T, it's 10 minutes. Wow. Five minutes. <laughs> T, scene, scene, scene. And I wow. would command S and run on and I'd go right back on stage. Into the character um, that you were playing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Into an entirely different character. Oh, my God. I was writing. Oh, no, so I, was, I mean, so basically right. it, was, it was writing in between scenes. And then going on stage and playing someone entirely different. Right. Somehow, oh, that's what I mean. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's incredible that you could go between those two things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish I could still multitask that well. I don't know if I could if I tried, <laughs> but I'm going to have to because I've, um, I, I do have multiple projects on the burner right now, and I've got to make sure that I keep them all straight. Yeah, it's right. like juggling. <laughs> it sounds like both of you do kind of kind of always have a number of things going. You must. I mean, you're both so prolific. Um, and I also just wanted to say, I think, you know, just like you were talking about um, reading aloud a book, I think a lot of um, writers find it very useful to um, to do theater, um, mm. to take acting classes, because it does. It helps you learn how mm -hmm. to create a character. It also it also helps you. How to, it also helps you to present 
Mm-hmm. And it helps you get in front of people and not mm. um, and not be intimidated by that. There are there are countless stories I've heard of of, of um, authors saying about uh, you know it's it's someone else's it's someone else's job to promote, uh, and it's just not like that anymore. It just isn't. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to you have to promote, and part of promoting is getting out there and speaking and and making appearances and reading your own work. Reading your own work, and man, I have seen some stinker readings in the past. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. So it's just a matter of it, it's a matter of you need to be able to not only. In fact, I did a blog post on this recently. It, it, it's about reading the room, and mm-hmm. that's something that I think I, that was one of the most valuable lessons that I learned as an actor was how do you read a room. How do you how do how can you tell when you can you know kind of milk the audience, enjoy it, maybe maybe indulge a little bit, and maybe you know have have a little fun with the reading, or these people want to get to the buffet as soon as possible, <laughs> wrap it up, wrap it up now, and and uh, yeah, it, it's, it's it's a lot a, of skills actually between being an yeah. actor and being a writer that are actually very complementary. Yeah. yeah, you have to be something of a Swiss Army knife now to be a, to be a professional mm, professional mm, author. Definitely, yeah. No, definitely, it's true, and um, I, I, um, I do. Um, we have the Virginia Festival of the Book here in town, and I often moderate a panel. And I, I, I don't let them read because just I feel like most writers are really terrible at reading the work, and <laughs> I'm sure you guys would be fabulous. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's not going to make. That's not the best way to showcase everyone's work, and mm-hmm. it's just yeah. having to think no, about. It's not. The writers that are on the panel and saying, like, just make everyone really like you, and then they'll go re- want to read your book. You know? <laughs> right, right. Well, writers sometimes are a bit bit of natural uh, introverts. You know, yes. I think there's a higher percentage of introverts amongst the writing community than just your average slice of, you know, yep. on the street. So, mm. yeah, it's for, for some writers it's definitely difficult to put themselves out there and present or it talk is. or read their own stuff particularly. Yeah, yeah. But they have to learn they're going to be successful. So. That is true. Right. That is very true. Yeah, definitely. So um, I know you all need to go here in a minute or two, but um, can you talk a little bit about writing steampunk? Oh, How, yeah. we love writing steampunk. Um, we, I think we've talked so much. We've been to so many steampunk conventions. Yeah. Um, so assume nothing is, as far as, yeah, what it is. <laughs> steam, well, steampunk is, um, it is, Victorian based, at the you know in the core nineteenth century nineteenth century nineteenth century Victorian based, mm-hmm. but with um, machinery that did never that never existed. So um, if you're thinking about uh, twenty thousand leagues under the sea, mm-hmm. you know the, the the submarine, the Nautilus, all of those sort of things didn't exist. But imagine if they did. <laughs> yeah, the, the idea is uh, in the 19th century, uh, a scientist named Charles Babbage created something called the Difference Engine, which was basically a giant calculator. And he actually had plans for something called an analytical engine, which would have been a giant computer. Um, couldn't I mean, get mo- funding. But he couldn't get funding. <laughs> the, etern- the eternal thing yeah. that happens. No one's really willing yeah, to. Yeah, he didn't have get fund. Go fund me. Right. <laughs> right. But, the, but the concept behind steampunk is, well, what if that idea took off? And so you see technology that we know for today, we see it in that uh, 19th century yeah. splendor, uh, you know, in, part, in reflecting in the culture and things like that. And it's got a wonderful aesthetic to oh, it yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. It's got a great aesthetic so to it. It's, it. Got, um, it's got a lot of potential. And, 
And, uh, you know, the, there are the staples, ray guns, ray guns, airships, uh, airships and goggles. goggles. But, you know, we, we, uh, we, and we play around with all those tropes. And they're also, you get, you get to play with fantastical stuff too, right? Like creatures oh, yeah. that are hybrid, kind of organic and uh, mechanical, right? Yeah, there's, the, the thing about steampunk that I, that I really enjoy is it is quite broad. You can have things that are like paranormal. You have yeah, um, Gail Carragher's mm. series where there's vampires and werewolves. Then you can have you can have steampunk on other planets. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be Earth. Ooh, it can be it. a secondary world. I mean, it, it's really uh, a very broad, all-encompassing genre. You can have romance. You can have... Um, Almost hard science fiction. Which, yeah. um, almost. 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 Um, <laughs> well, the thing I particularly like is uh, mixing in history. So in the Ministry series, we have a lot of stuff about uh, suffragettes, American inventors. Um, uh, it, oh, we always have airships. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so um, great. But, you know, we, we like to mix up all those sort of things and throw – it's like a gumbo, just – Throw in some of your favorite things and and make up the secret sauce that is steampunk. Mm, fun, yeah, very fun. Do you find that um, the more you write, the more you write, um, that the creativity sort of feeds itself or not? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the ministry now we've been writing writing so many books that we're I don't know. It's like going home. We <laughs> we had a bit of a break after the last book of the ministry, and then we started the YA series, and it was just so easy to get into it was like slipping into a warm bath you know that you (laughs) you know you know how things are in that world and um and yet there's still so much more that we want to explore um like in the YA the the main ministry series was more conspiracies and um you know secret societies and that sort of thing the YA series is more paranormal so we've got things about the uh, silver pharaoh Susenes and we have things about Greek fire and uh, in the third book we're moving on to something from South America so um, you know that it, that's the lovely thing about steampunk and the ministry is that we can just throw it all in there and enjoy yeah. it that's great and um is is so if someone were were to embark on writing steampunk today do many of the whatever the big how many are left big five big three I don't even know how many. Are, publishers are publishers, yeah. are, are, or or is sort of the avenue self publishing or doing various other digital platforms digital platforms is that it's 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 a it's a weird kettle of fish um, right now steampunk is kind of getting repackaged as uh, gaslight fantasy gaslight oh, fantasy yeah. oh. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, then there's there's uh, there's all the different flavors of steampunk. There's retropunk. There's sci- well, cyberpunk came first. Um, but then there's, punk. there's there yeah there there's there's all different types of that. Wow. And then of course you've got magical realism, mm-hmm. which is a very hoity-toity way of saying it's <laughs> fantasy. Um, and steampunk has sort of got a, it sort of has a, I hate to say this, but for some, and this is where it gets, this is where I, I do put in this caveat for some for some authors it has a negative connotation because with the exception of Gail Carriger who else has made it big in um, in steampunk and it's it you know KW Jeter a lot of people throw his name out there but the thing is he's actually trying to get away from writing steampunk even though he's the guy that coined the phrase um, oh. really the only writer that that has <clears throat> that has uh, made it big with steampunk um, has been um, uh, Jim Butcher. 
But he was already Jim Butcher. He was already Jim Butcher. Yeah. And so it wasn't okay. that he made his name off of off of steampunk. He just really wanted to do steampunk and he did it. And um, and so so it's it's very hard for steampunk to get a foot in the door if you're a new author. That being said, you know, when we uh, when when we did uh, the fourth book in the ministry series, New York said to us, well, you know, we're done. And we thought to each other, well, we're not done. So we went on ahead and, and just to test the waters, we said, can we raise $8,000? And uh, it three days. Wasn't it, it? It, it, no, we got it within 24 hours. Oh, was it? Wow. Yeah. We, we got it within 24. Well, we got, uh, I think, 75% of the goal in the first 24 hours. And then within three days, we hit eight, we hit the 8,000 mark. And then we wound up, we wound up earning twenty one thousand dollars, wow. and that told us that there's this. At least there's, at least we have a very loyal following for our uh, for our steampunk, and we just took it recently to, to the Maryland Renaissance Festival and sold a lot of and steampunk. sold a, sold a lot of books. And it wasn't that people were just buying the first book; we were selling sets of the completed series. Oh, and we were like, great. well, okay then. Yeah, so, I, think you know, I think there's actually a pretty strong uh, indie. Uh, steampunk mm-hmm. movement out there, um, and though in New York, I, I think what happened was New York was looking for the next urban fantasy, um, and it didn't quite meet their expectations. So, you know, in the way of New York, making money is the important thing. They moved on, right. but I I still think there is plenty of interest in reading it. And actually, when you go around the countryside to all the steampunk conventions, they're still going on. There's still plenty of new ones cropping up. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, as long as people still want to read them, we'll keep writing them, I think. Yeah, and I, and I feel like I hear that a lot with genres. People say, oh, the P.I. novel is dead or whatever. Yeah. You know, we're not buying – it means that we're not buying them or whatever, and then and then someone else will come out with some, a different twist and suddenly it's yeah, hot again. Yeah, they're always looking for the, for the next, you know – big thing and if it doesn't happen then their their interest wanes and they wander off to try something else. <laughs> yeah. <right>? yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, we want to thank you so much for being guests on the Writer Story podcast. Our um, guests are Philippa Pip Ballantine and T Morris. Um, fantastic writers with um, lots of material that readers can get a hold of by um, looking up their websites, the author websites, or the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Um, other places they might find you folks, T and Pip? Um, PJBallantine.com and TMorris.com. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Awesome. It was so great chatting with you both. It was great Thank to talk to you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was um, a great conversation. I really learned a lot, actually. I, 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 you had told me a little bit about patio books, and I, and I, just, I think it's a great idea. It's, I think there's all sorts of tools out there for writers who want feedback or want to get their work out, and I think it's, it's super exciting being just spoken books and instead of you know, in chapters, just as I said, just like Dickens did. So I was, was learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so interesting to work collaboratively in the ways that they did to be alternating. And it makes sense that you might 
kind of first start by one person writing one character, one voice, and the another person the other. But then how that evolved to create yeah. a kind of single voice right. was really that's really interesting. And, and coming through knowing their characters so much in a series like yeah. that, I think was a, a, maybe the the lesson. I'm not sure if they collaborated in a bunch of other books, but but the whole thing of learning sort of a common voice for the books. Yeah, and oh, I just got so excited hearing about steampunk and all the possibilities for yes. the directions that a story could take. And anyway, I, I hope whatever writers may be listening, you'll feel energized and inspired to just write the things that you love, write, to, you write love the to stories read. you want to read exactly. and the characters you want to spend time with. And don't worry about whatever other... Um, editorial overlay you may be experiencing, right. but just and, and to also, have some fun with it. And also, I think it's really a good thing to be reminded of that although you know mainstream publishing has um, certain tastes and wants certain things, you know that doesn't have to stop you if you want to write in a genre that they're not purchasing. You know exactly. that there's a lot of different options, and that they've you know made their way based on what they are interested in built a fan following and were able to raise money for their book. And it's really inspiring yeah. to hear. Yeah. It's very brave. And it's also, um, you know, it should be applauded. Obviously people really love their writing. Yes. Yeah. For good reason. T Morris and Philippa Pip Valentine. So check them out folks. And thanks for joining us.